everybody and welcome with, to Chirping with ABA Owls. Um, my name is Lauren and this is Carla. Hiya. Um, well, just in the beginning of our podcast, we like to do a disclaimer just to say that these are our thoughts and experiences. Um, we're not claiming to be um, the, know everything about ABA, but this is from speaking from our experiences. Um, so just as a side note to take to bear that in mind. Yes, and today, so we've chosen a topic we've been wanting to do for a while, um, and we can honestly, this is going to be two parts, because we already know it's going to be two parts. Uh, the, topic, the topic for today is myths and misconceptions. So we, we chose this because we do have often people asking us questions about ABA, uh, people either in the, uh, like they wanna, they're curious about the field or parents or the professionals, etc. So we thought um, it would be good to address some of these questions that sometimes are, are, are a bit controversial. Um, so we, we looked a lot at um, websites and articles uh, that we then had to walk away from because they were quite hard to read sometimes. Um, and we used them to compile a list of different topics. We're going to get into now and the first topic is Miss Lauren. Hello. So, yes, we were, I thought Carl and I would talk a little bit about a few different topics and one of us will talk mostly and the other person might comment or have something to say. So just bear with us because we tend to like to talk a lot and say a lot of different things. And um, Carl and I always have an opinion on anything. So never fear yeah. to ask us if we do or don't. Um, so the first one we thought would be a nice one to start off with is is a comment that there's no evidence that ABA works. Um, and from our experience, we especially the amount of research we do and everything we take on, is that there's loads of empirical evidence that ABA works. Um, it's housed in a lot of different journal um, search engines, and there's loads of online peer-reviewed articles. Um, I read somewhere that there's over 50, 550 peer-reviewed studies um, demonstrating the effectiveness of ABA. That's with autism, okay? But there are ABA is in a whole bunch of different fields. Carl and I will talk a little bit more about behavior and um the different types of um, ways ABA can help in other fields. But in terms of um, ABA and autism, I'm going to read you a couple of um, places that I've found. And some of these have been running since 1982. So there's analysis of verbal behavior, autism, autism research, behavioral interventions, behavior analysis and practice, um, behavior modification, the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, JABA. We use that one quite frequently. Um, the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders, okay, Journalism, Journal of Experimental Analysis of Behavior, Research in Autism Spectrum Disorders, Research in Developmental Disabilities, Education and the Treatment of Children, the Psychological Record. And these are just some of the places that you can find information about ABA. Um, so I would encourage people to go and do some research and really read the articles because they are very well written. And there's some very, very... Um, experienced doctors that are running these. Um, and I think also, Colin, I would like to say is that we're not saying that other therapies don't work. That's not what we're saying at all. But in our experience, we've had a lot of success in, in using the, the principles of ABA. Um, and sometimes I speak to people and I hear about how other therapies haven't helped their children. And that's why they've come to find me um, or find our ex seek out our expertise. Um, I have also had some children that have moved schools 
and their previous schools can't believe that the young people that left their school is the same person. Um, and I just wanted to mention a few things is that this isn't because the other school wasn't successful. Okay. It's just that some principles work better for some children than, than others. And, you know, I believe, and I'm sure Carla will concur, is that we just want the best for these young people and yep. we will do whatever it takes to, to help that. Okay. And that means that's the best interests of the child. Um, and, you know, I've had young people transition out of ABA schools too. Okay. Because they made so much progress that they, we couldn't meet their needs anymore. We didn't need to help them. So, and that will tie in quite nicely later with one of the, some of the topics that Carla and I are going to talk about. But they made so much progress that they don't need to be there anymore. Um, one young man went on to do his GCSEs. Okay, he left the school. Another one went on because he no longer displayed the high level of challenging behavior he did previously. Um, I know this one of the boy, I didn't work with him myself, but when I moved from the primary to the secondary site, um, he arrived at the school, gorgeous, gorgeous, young, beautifully gentle little boy. Um, and he had no communication. Like he couldn't speak. He couldn't ask for anything, nothing. And I remember I, I visited the school I used to work at and he came up to me and he spontaneously read my name badge. And he said to me, uh, how do you pronounce your name? And I was so shocked because I remember him not having any communication whatsoever. And he is initiating a social interaction. He can't read my name because my name is spelled weirdly. It's not phonetically. It's just phonetically awkward. And <laughs> and he yeah, exactly. And he was asking questions from an, an unknown person. It was just amazing. Um, and then I wanted to give another example. Um, I can hear Carla wants to chat, wants to say something. Um, but <laughs> did you did you want to add something right now? No, it's fine. Do your example first. You know me. Oh, sorry. So well. No, it's sorry. fine. Carry on. And then I think I mentioned this in another previous podcast, but I'm so, so proud of this young man and his family and their dedication to um, improving his life is that he, this young boy used to come to, the, used to go to church Okay, and um, when he used to go to church, he is, his mom used to be quite worried because of the high level of problem behavior he used to have. And it was quite aggressive problem behavior um, if he got if things were um, not exactly how he wanted them. And um, he now attends church with his mum on Sunday. And I remember his mum telling me in one of our meetings that people come up to her at church because they cannot believe he's the same boy. And that and that's hugely socially significant, that behavior, that he's able to sit through church and he's be able to be part of a community, whereas previously he wasn't able to do that. And she told me that's because of the ABA he received. And I believe her. And I believe because I saw the change in him. So I know that that's because of some of the interventions that we helped, we we implemented to help him live a fuller life. Um yeah, Carla, do you want to add something now until I go into my next example? Yes. Um, okay. Also, because when Lauren mentioned we there would we had children transitioning from the AB school we used to work at and to another school and vice versa. However, we Lauren and I don't think everyone should go into an ABA school. I don't think like we we do value. Absolutely. Yeah, we do value people's differences, and you know. If a child has done enough progress with us, he can we want him we want children to be, you know, integrate the community uh, so so they don't have to be in an environment where they need one on one attention because realistically no one hardly anyone gets that. So so yes, yeah, just because we we brought some people to this school or that or doesn't mean that we don't want them to 
move on to other settings where they'll be successful as well. That's that's all I wanted to say because you know we'll, we're going to go into that further further onto the podcast. But yeah, definitely. I think that's perfectly perfectly podcast, Carla. Thank you because it is it's so true. We'd never we'd never want intensive intervention for children that don't need it. Um, and also, I, I wanted to give an example about I, I was working on in a private sector when I was helping a family in their home. And I remember I met a mum and her young boy and she was telling me that um, she'd had a speech and language therapist who'd worked with him for, I think, about two years. And she hadn't seen much progress in terms of his like functional language. He wasn't able to. He had language. He could say words, but he wouldn't use them to be able to ask for things he needed or whatever. So she hired an ABA tutor, and within two weeks, he was using his language functionally. So it's just about the right technique of drawing that, that language out of him. Um, and I'm not saying that speech and language therapists aren't successful. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying for this young man, the speech and language therapy he was receiving wasn't drawing out that language in him appropriately. It may have been teaching him language. He just wasn't able to use it functionally, and that ABA tutor was able to use that those, that language for to give him the tool to use it successfully to ask for things he needed and wanted. Um, and I, I now I'm still in touch with the mum and it's two years. I think he's had two years of ABA and he's able to use sentences and he ra- he spontaneously comments on things he sees. Like he'll oh. say, "Mummy, look, there's a train over there. I want to go to the park. Look at the boys playing with the sand." He's able to use a lot of lot of language to engage and use that socially. Um, to engage with people that he is interested in. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's. So to say that it has n- no evidence that it works, I think I'm talking from my experience a lot, but also there is a lot of information out there. So I would go out there and and do some research because it could really be enlightening. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think that when they, especially when people say there's no evidence, that part for me does rub me because, you know what, you constantly the way I feel is we constantly need to defend our field uh and when people say there's no evidence part of me wants to carry around the binder with all the printed studies okay I will read through this because sometimes exactly and it's it can be a bit no but there is I'm telling like I'm telling you there is all these journals and all these Mm. studies um, so there is quite quite a lot of evidence, I would say. Exactly, and it's exhausting having to defend yeah. what you do all the time. Whereas other people just they just walk into a room and everyone wants to listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Um, just know, fine, so it is, you know, it, can be, it is what it is. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, but it can be quite exhausting, and yeah. you know, we get to the point where you you don't really want to explain it anymore, but because we feel so passionate and because we love helping young these young people gain more and more success. That that's why we do it. So, yeah. Carla, did you want me to move on to the next bit? Yes. Go on. Okay. Um, I think another one that's really hard to to talk about and I personally find very upsetting yeah. is, um, <laughs> um, it's, is that ABA treats people like animals or it's like training animals. Um, and and I, I will talk about why I find it so upsetting is because – I really care about animals in general, and I also really care about the young people I work with. And having read that people think that that's what we our desire is, isn't true. And especially the ABA that I know and love isn't. That's not what I signed up for, and not what I condone. So, and I think it stems from 
you know, the research, so where ABA started or where behavior analysis started is that it started in labs, okay, scientific laboratories with animals. So I think that's one of the areas where it starts with. So Skinner in his Skinner with his animals in his Skinner box started research on mostly pigeons and rats. Okay. And he gained a lot of knowledge from teaching these animals new behaviors. Okay. Through the reinforcement and punishment. And we'll talk a little bit more about punishment later. So try not to get too hung up about that word just yet. Um, And through these principles of, he started to learn a lot about how he could teach behaviors. Um, And, but what I want to reiterate is that is not the ABA we know today. It's the it's the foundation of understanding where behavior and how behavior works comes from. But it is not the ABA we use today. It is not the same. I would never put anyone in a cage and try to teach them things that way because it doesn't make any sense to do that. I now know the principles because of the research that was done. And now I get to apply the same principles in a natural environment. And that's the beauty of understanding ABA. Okay. And I think, yeah, I think that's one of the main areas that stems from college. Did you want anything about that right now? Um, No, no, no. Carry on. I think what you said is perfect. So carry on. Okay, cool. And I think also, I think because, and it's a very contentious issue, Colin, I don't like to use it. Okay, but it's because food is used a lot. Okay, um, well, it can be used a lot. It's not always used. I don't. I have a program where I was like, under no circumstances are we to use food with this young person because they like other things, and I don't need to use food. If I needed to use food because the child doesn't have any interests and he likes food, absolutely, that's where I would start. But the food is used to pair myself or the environment with good things, things I like already, okay? And I think everybody who's listening can go, I love chocolate, or I love crisps, or I love um, uh, burgers. We all love food in a different way. But if that's the only thing you like, I've got to use what I have to try and teach you. So that's why food is used, okay? It's used as a primary enforcer. So it's it's a very primitive way of um, engaging a young person, but that is that food should be, and I want to say should be used, should be faded out, okay, over time, and should be paired with other things that the person might like, okay, so those become associated with good things too. So other toys or people or activities, okay, it's very much the beginning part of an ABA program if a child only likes food. Sorry, just to say, and we do reward ourselves as well with food. Like, for example, um, sometimes I make a joke with people when they say, oh, how can I thank you? And I say, I say a box of because, you know, I love chocolate. And it's just a saying, I don't need payment. Just give me some chocolate. And because we even parents with children, they go, OK, if you have all your dinner, you can get some dessert. That's reinforcement with, with food. That, you know, people do it on a daily basis, but us as as professionals, we know there's other ways of reinforcement and we should try always to aim for those. And like Lauren just said, if there's nothing, we'll pair it up. Um, But I think some people, people get, they latch on to this food thing without realizing that everyone Mm -hmm. constantly parents, uh, carers, guardians, etc., or even other people. And we do it to ourselves as well. We constantly use food as a reward. Oh, I just went to the gym so I can afford to eat a cookie. Um, 
we all do it. And even though, yes, ideally we should try to get children interested in other things, the the lashing on to this, latching on, latching on to this yeah. food thing is it's. I find it very per- particular that people get so attached to this when when everyone does it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it is. It's 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 it's. it's it doesn't look good, I admit. It doesn't look nice to be feeding mm. a child. I mean, oh, I yeah, will we've, say... Oh, yeah, we've seen, yeah. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. It's not nice. But, again, as I said before, and I'm just going to... If I need to use that, if I have a child who doesn't like anything, who has severe challenging behavior, who isn't able to engage in the world, who isn't able to dress themselves, who doesn't have any interests, I've yeah. got to start what I, with what I have. And if exactly. you like food... I'm going to use it because I want you to be the best version of yourself. And this is where, and Karen, I I mean, it's my catchphrase, but I've got to start where I am. I see the future picture, the bigger picture of this young person playing with toys and being able to engage with other students. But right now I don't have any of that. So I've got to start there. So that's where I do start. And I have done that. But I mean, anybody who's worked with me and Carla will know anybody who works with me, I'm like, listen, We're going to start with this, but this will not be used forever. And I want you to not get too comfortable with using it because it's going to be our starting point. It's not going to be our finishing point. So let's just, let's start now. We're going to plan to fade it out. We're going to find new things that they like, and then we're going to move on. So I think those are the the things that it looks like. And, you know, I read somewhere, which was actually really nice is yes, behavior, applied behavior analysis has been used to teach, I don't know, animals to do tricks, dolphins to do tricks and flips and whatever it's been used to help people with severe motor impairments. Okay. It's been teached. It's been help, It's been used to help teach dogs to find missing people or detect um, cancer in patients or whatever, but it's also been used to motivate workers in companies to achieve better things. Okay. To get their bonuses, to help the company get that next step on the, on the ladder. Okay. And it's also been helped to use to reduce drug use in addicts and increase food take for those people who have eating disorders. So ABS has been used in a lot of different areas. And I'm, you know, I think if it's a good method of teaching, we can't take that away. If it's good, it's good. Let's use it. So yeah, I think that's just what I wanted to say is that yes, it may look a bit weird, but ultimately it's just the starting point. And it's for the it's it's headed in the right direction. Um, yeah. No, I was just gonna say it's the um, yeah f- people assume we treat other people like animals, and you know what? I think people don't realize how their children sometimes can be treated in other settings. I I mean I've seen I've seen a, a, a sales consultant losing it on a child because the child was just picking up. They were trying to see a Christmas decoration. And this is in a neurotypical setting. It's a neurotypical child, a neurotypical sales consultant. Because it was a child, she raised her voice at her. And, for, and you know, and what I'm going to say, people probably won't like it, but, you know, too bad. Um, I personally hate shouting at children. I think sometimes we need to be stern. I think sometimes we can lose our everyone's human and we'll lose we'll lose our cool. Sometimes we'll shout. But I personally, I don't like the hitting I don't like the shouting just because I feel like it's us saying we have power over you and you can't do anything about it and and people do that to animals as well like if a dog's naughty they will smack him on his bottom uh however lots of people are in favor of shouting or um you know disciplining with you know with hitting 
but I find it hilarious. It's hilarious and it's not because we've, Lauren and I have been reading so many articles on people being negative about ABA. And let me tell you guys, it's been really hard. We've had to take lots of deep breaths because part of us wants to be like, no, it's not like that. You don't understand. You need to listen, listen to us. But you know what? People have their opinions and we're not going to take them away. All we can do is trying to show that, you know what? There's different ways of practicing, but uh, we we've read lots, lots of articles because we can even share them at the end if you really want to see it, because, you know, for the sake of transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they say a lot that, you know, we pe- there's a quote that one of the quotes we found, what Lauren found was uh, compliant training does not provide any way for a child to say no. Once a therapist gives a command because everyone assumes the child doesn't have a valid reason for refusing to do something. And you found this in the social anxious advocate link. And mm. and for them, that's one of the arguments of treating people like animals. And you know what? I don't know what kind of therapists or ABA people do do not give someone a way out. Um, because personally, Lauren and I wouldn't do that. And we're hoping that other practitioners would not do that. But sometimes if you say to a, to, to a person, get off the road, there's a car coming. You can't accept them saying, no, I want to stay in the middle of the road. So Mm. it's this kind of argument sometimes goes a very it's very wide because it doesn't allow you to see the different and particular uh, subtopics, you know, that exactly um, isn't it that it encompasses because there's so many different facets of the same of the same setting. That's why we are very, you know, into defining the behavior. Exactly. And it's all about perspective because, you know, you can look at something like that and go, oh, that's terrible. You know, why wouldn't you give them a choice? But as your example, I'd rather have a child that maybe is a bit upset that they didn't get their way than a dead child. Yeah. So that's just how I weigh it up. You know, it's it's just so, yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one to deal with. But I think, you know, it's it's something that I vouch and have never done and I will never do. So I and I'm and the people that I work with and associate with would never do that. So, and it's it's treating yeah. the way you want to be treated in the end, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is you I some lots of the times when I look back when I started when I didn't know any barely anything about ABA and I think oh that's not right like you 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 think back different practitioners will be different and yes it's true ABA does get a you know sometimes some people will give it a, a bad reputation because they'll be too focused on one thing. Uh, But I personally think we should all try to aim for treating children in general, like human beings, not just within ABA, I would Mm. say in different fields. Um, Absolutely. So when this argument is used against ABA, I have to say, then you can use this argument against anything, anything in the whole world. You can use it against people shouting and hitting their children. You can use it against in schools, how they, have the children saying all this, you know, even in church, you know, and not to offend anyone in church. But I remember the first time I went to um, a Catholic wake and people kept standing up and saying the same things at at the same time. They all knew the lyrics. And that's that's called conditioning because they've they've learned that when something happens, they have to say these words. And I was a bit taken aback. I was just like I came out and my dad was waiting outside and I said, Dad, they they, they all stand up and say this. And my dad, yes, it's a Catholic wake. And I said, well, but how do they know? I was really confused. I was like, how do they yeah. all know what to say, when to say it? And, you know, because they're taught. Exactly. And then, but 
and someone can take that and be like, oh, yeah, that's like teaching animals because they're taught they have to say this. And, and it's not. So it's this argument. People can use it for anything, really. We can use it for anything. I, I prefer not to. <laughs> uh, because yeah. it's, it's a, so it's a horrible comparison. But exactly. Not horrible. Well, you know, it's just again, we need to take deep breaths with the <laughs> yeah and again it's about it's about the intention and the perspective if your intention yeah. is to be good and to do good and help children and you don't know that what you're doing isn't right then you should research that and your perspective is about where do I want how do I want to feel about how I'm helping this person and where do I want them to be and how are we going to get there so it's all I just think it's a it's a it's about being aware of what the intentions are and trying to help be these young people, be all these old people, it doesn't matter. Be as successful as possible. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to the next topic? Or do you yes, of course. This? Yes. No, I'm awesome. happy. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for describing it so well. So well. now we're going to move on. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move on to something because all these topics kind of stem from each other in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's quite hard yeah. sometimes for us to be just on it because we we'll have to, we always have to dig into other areas of it because it's, you know, it's all mixed in the end. Um, and we we're talking about some, some of the articles we've read that mentions that um, ABA does turn children into robots and that they use a lot of table drills and make children sound robotic. So it's a bit similar to treating children like and people like animals, uh, but in a different way. So, so yeah, so ABA does have from its origin does have a lot of let's say i want to say fame or rep- maybe reputation of using a lot mm-hmm. of table drills which which they do i remember like in early early abas and maybe still a bit recently people have seen that um sitting at the table and doing table drills um seems to help a lot of children but again children are different people are different and they'll learn different ways and everyone changes as they experience life um and some people in ABA will run procedures in a, in a way that makes children sound robotic or like a parrot. Uh, but maybe other children who are more able will go through the same drills and not sound like a robot or parrot. Um, and some professionals do use stable drills and some don't. And I personally, um, and I, I guess Lauren as well, uh, but I, I can't speak for her, you know, she's an individual. <laughs> um, but we do like natural settings because the natural setting is where lots of the children we work with which sometimes are very severely autistic that's the setting that they have trouble with um and sitting at the table and on task behavior work it's it's really important schools that's all schools do after a certain age if you notice Mm -hmm. if you remember being at school after a certain age all you do is sit at the table the whole day and, and i remember it being awful uh, yeah. And yeah. So and it's the same thing with uh, with an ABA. Some children maybe have a program where they're always at the table and other children don't. I personally like a mix. I do like to put more emphasis on learning in the environment if possible. But if if we want a child to kind of be able to sit in a school setting, we need to teach the child to sit at a table. Um, but sitting at the table doesn't mean we're going to run you know, all the drills of, you know, the typical co- of what's this, what's that. Um, and it doesn't mean that we won't do work. I work with a child where we sit at a table and because we're working on his handwriting, we give him lots of sheets to trace just to help him kind of get the, the feel of the movement. Um, 
and we're there for five minutes and again he gets to go and play for a bit so we so we keep his focus up so sitting at the table doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be drilling 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 but then again i have met children that quite enjoy the table drills i've met children that actually go and get the cards out and ask us to because they view it as a game of having to answer quickly to the pictures um lauren and i in our class had two boys two teenagers who were just their friendship they were just so amazing and they were both kind of geeks and nerds and they loved the cards so sometimes they would get the cards and i I remember once i had both at the same time and i was just going like see who could answer faster and they quite enjoyed it so of course you know know, and sometimes yes you don't want it to be for everyone yeah, yes. and, and also like some because of the nature of the way that these children some of these children learn and because they might be dare I say behind some of their peers in terms of their skill set in in their age is that we need to catch up so yes sometimes we need to teach intensively at the table because we've lost time where these children might have been learning in the environment and they aren't able to absorb in the in the environment naturally like their peers so we have to try and find that balance. I am not a big fan of intensive teaching at the table in general. I use it when I have to. Um, but I, yeah. as Carla said, you know, it's a balance. It's about using this time to teach you things so that I can help you use those things when we're not at the table. So that's, that's how I see it. It's the key to unlocking the door. I need to get some information into you. I need you to learn some information so that you can use it when we're not at the table. And that's kind of how I justify it. And I think if that's all you're doing in your ABA programs, it's probably going to be quite a boring program. And um, yeah. you may be really good at answering, and that that's great. But let's be honest, how are they going to use that when they're in their shop? Are they going to whip out their cards and start asking people to tell them, ask them what the things are called in a in a supermarket? Not really. So it's only a means to an end for me. Um and I do think it has its place, but I don't think it's essential for every child. It depends, again, it depends on the child, you know. And also some children when they're really young, and I've seen, I've been in programs when a very young child had mm. to do table work. But then when I was with him, he wouldn't sit at the table. So I had to bring toys and make the table fun. And to be honest, I taught him the, the skills, because I was just covering, I taught him the same skills, not at the table. And he learned mm. fine. And it's, exactly. you know, and it's that thing of, OK, fair enough. We, we need to teach children to sit at the table. But sometimes I feel people do it when they're too young. And mm. and also I remember having this program as well last, I think it was last year where um, I'm not with them anymore. But um, the mom, so we're do, doing everything in the environment and, you know, naturally. Um, and all of a sudden the mom had brought out a table bought a table and I thought I, th- I remember thinking oh okay uh and then later I found out that t- the tutor well without telling you which also is not very correct was using he was what I think at the time he must have been three or four years old she was using cards and table drills uh. and I'm just well one that's not part of the program two why are you doing that to a three or four year old who uh. can who has behavior every time you interrupt his preferred activity or if you try to tell him a little bit of a no, like it's, you know, it's, it's also looking at, okay, is it, is it an in- essential skill at the moment? Um, yeah. Cause again, in autism, it goes from actually one of my friends, did a very good comparison. He says, let's say the spectrum goes from water to wine, wine being 
severely autistic and water being neurotypical, uh, which I think everyone's in the spectrum, in my opinion, but in different ways. But yeah, it's the, the tr- wherever the child or the person with autism is, it's very it varies a lot. It's it's different every single mm. time. Of course, um, exactly, and it's and it brings us to the other part of this um, area that we of comments we saw, which was ABA only cares about behavior and children acting the same way, um, and it's about to try to make them change and take away their personalities. And a, a quote, some quotes that we we read was, for example, one was. Um, Dr. Ivar Lovas considered the goal of ABA to make autistic people indistinguishable from their peers. This aims puts all responsibility for change on autistic people. And you know what? Dr. Lovas, yeah, is one of the founders many, 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 many years ago. And I don't think all of what he stood for represents the ABA of today. Like he was a founder, yes, but we moved away from a lot of the things because I personally don't want to make um, my children I work with to be equal to everyone else. Um, and you know what behavior behavior it is it is very important. You know if the child can't communicate or follow simple instructions that can't tolerate help, we can't teach functional skills to support him throughout or her throughout his life. So we do have to have the behavior a little bit manageable, but that doesn't mean we're going to make them the same as everyone else because not ev- even their typical children are quite different um i was a, a chatterbox in school every single school report carla talks too much carla does her work but she talks too much <laughs> oh, oh no preach that's her every single report in primary school said that it's so funny yeah. i found them last year and it, they all said that and my dad said yeah, yeah we knew because you know you finished <laughs> your work and you got bored so you tried to chat up with people <laughs> she's like yeah. oh you know, and yeah, behavior is crucial in our field. And we do get a lot of, um, let's say, accusations or um, let's say, well, I don't know, maybe that word is a bit too aggressive, but people point out that all we care about is <clears throat> behavior. It is crucial because only it's, it's crucial because everything we do is behavior. Playing a game is behavior. Eating is a behavior. Running is a behavior. So every action a person does is behavior. And to say that ABA only cares about behavior. Well, yes, because we view behavior as the entire repertoire of actions that a person has. And there's a big difference between, let's say, behavior, so the main category, the umbrella, and then the challenging behavior, which is under the umbrella, is a subcategory. So, yes, we do care about behavior because everything we do is a behavior, and it's distinguishing between their personality and not knowing other ways to get the same result. So we, when people say, you know, oh, you want to take away their personalities? Well, I wouldn't consider shouting for sweets to be a personality trait because I don't know. I've I've had children who have lots of behavior, and I don't consider challenging behavior. I don't consider their challenging behavior their personality. Uh, I consider their personality when you know. When, you know, I had a child that we fell asleep on the bus and he would shout in my ear on purpose because he knew I would wake up startled. So, he would, hmm. you know, he liked to play a joke every single time, every single week he would do this. <laughs> and, it is, and that's personality for me because that's him being funny. It's him. Absolutely. You know, um, he was, uh, he, and he laughed and then he laughed in my, this boy couldn't speak, but he would laugh in my face. And it was the most <laughs> funniest thing ever. 
So, so you know, I I don't I personally don't think challenging behavior is a personality trait. Having more, yeah, especially having work with lots of children with lots of challenging behavior, um, because that's that's almost like saying, okay, that child um, is just you know kicking is part of how who they are. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't agree. It has to be like that. And I, yeah. and, and that's the quickest way to have someone shunned and have of someone course. not, isn't it? It's like, oh, that person yeah. is kicking and biting. So we're not going to go near the person. And exactly. Like, well, and I, I worked with a boy. Well, I worked with a school that had a boy and he had quite a lot of needs. And I'll never forget it as long as I live because he used to. I mean, he was he liked playing with his own spit. And um, I mean, he had other other interests, but this is and so, you know, the staff didn't want to really engage with him because he was usually covered in his own spit. Um, And I remember saying to the staff, well, why don't you try like um, soap or like sponges? Do you like a water play that like that same sensory seeking thing? So he doesn't have to use his spit. And I remember that the teacher says, but yeah, but that's just what he's like. That's just what he does. And and I was like, yes, but he doesn't have to do that. That's just what he does because he's not engaged and he has no way to entertain himself. So, again, it's not a personality trait because he plays with his spit. Okay, it's because he doesn't know how to engage with other things. And this is where the expertise can come in to be like, let's teach him how to engage. And he was such a lovely, lovely young man. I remember, like, I think I was playing with him and he was laughing and stuff. And the staff was so shocked that he did that. Because no one would engage with him because he did this thing. Um, so that, you know, and it's really, really sad. And um, we were able to help him in play with other things so he didn't have to do those things. And have, if we had left him, if they hadn't taken on the advice given, then that's just who he would have been forever. No one would want to have engaged with him. And that's really, really sad because he had a lot to give, yeah. this young man. And I think also, Carter, like one of the things about we were talking about in terms of, you know, turns – people into robots is that people forget that and uh, maybe they don't know is that generalization or generality is one of the core principles of behavior analysis and it's a fundamental to any ABA program okay it's to teach children to be able to use their skills functionally in the most natural way possible for their child Um, so and I think I was gonna I was we were chatting about it earlier and I was like you know when young people learn songs or young children learn songs or language it does sound robotic because it's new and different and they don't really understand what the words mean. They're just echoing words like a parrot. Exactly. Um, but as they develop, their language becomes more natural and they're able to use it more naturally because it becomes more fluent. And I think that's the thing is that when we start teaching people who don't have a lot of skills, yes, it may sound robotic sometimes, but that's again, is where we start our starting point. We wanted to develop to something more natural and only through using it in multiple environments and using it naturally, will it become more natural? And I think also when, when it, let's say I had to, Carla's native language is Portuguese. If I had to learn Portuguese, it would sound very robotic because it's very new to me. So I would sound robotic and weird because I would be thinking about the words and saying them really slowly and, you know, it would be staggered and robotic. But as I became more fluent, if I had the desire, because Portuguese is really hard. But if I, you know, <laughs> as I became more fluent, it would be less and less robotic. So it's just the beginning point. So, yes, it may sometimes sound like that sometimes, but that's not where we want it to be. It might just be the starting point. And it also depends on the child skill base. So, yeah, it can be. I'm not saying it isn't, but it's not our, It's not where we want it to be. It may just be the beginning point. Again, like the food. It's where i got to start so I can move on to more 
bigger, better things. You know, Sorry, and it's that's funny. all I wanted to say. No, no, that's great. I, I was going to say, like, and it's funny you mentioned um, the learning Portuguese, uh, which, by the way, I think it's, I don't know if it's the top, but I think it's one of the top languages with the most sounds in the world because mm-hmm. we have to make things complicated. Of course. Um, yeah, as a typical Portuguese. Uh, but it's funny because I've been, so my mother-in-law, she, bless her, she, she's been learning we've been learning english sorry i've been teaching her english um because she she only finished high school or secondary school it's whatever two years ago she had to go straight into work like all in the old days in portugal lots of people didn't get to finish high school so just went to to work to feed feed their families and she's been trying to get into english class so and she was very frustrated because every time they put in an english class they put her at the beginning so she could understand, she can understand a lot, but she can't speak it. Kind of like our mm. children, which children we work with. They know, it. Yeah. they know what they're being told, but they can't communicate. And mm. and she said it was very frustrating because every time she had to learn the alphabet again. And, oh, you know, and, and they always go for the things in the classroom, etc. And she works in the hospital. So I've been, you know, sending, uh, we've been doing lessons on diseases, bacteria. And now we're moving on to food because I thought, well, we had such a heavy heavy duty topic let's go something light and she was telling me you know I never learned about food names and I said what do you mean well in our lessons it was all about classrooms and the verb Mm. to be and etc and and to be honest she's an adult now she needs more conversational English she doesn't need to know the phonics but she just needs to learn how to speak in a way that functionally Exactly. Yeah. And we do practice. Sometimes I say, look, I need you to write a conversation in Portuguese. I'll translate it. Like, it's a skill she can learn later on. And then we, we rehearse. We pretend we're having a chat so she can, she can practice dialogues. And yes, it does sound a bit robotic at the beginning. But the more she practices, the more fluent and more natural it's sounding. Like you said, learning a new language. And she, it's going to sound robotic for a while until she understands everything and how to speak more fluently but mm-hmm. bless her she's an excellent student she you know she tries really hard right everyone that was the end of part one thank you for listening we will carry on on the next episode